We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read it right now, and then we're going to come back to it, but I want to go ahead and read it at the onset, and just so you kind of have your bearings, and we'll come back to it. But 1 Corinthians 12 and 4. I do not want to be long tonight because I know there's a lot going on uh, later today, so I will try to be as succinct as possible and to the point. Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Would you pray with me one more time? I pray, Lord, you would help me to clearly teach and to proclaim what your word has said, that this truth would be rooted in our lives, that we would be open to you, Holy Spirit, and your work in our lives, and that lives, and that the gifts of the Spirit be manifest in our lives individually and in this church corporately. I pray you would help us to have an increased sensitivity to your work and what you desire to do in and through our lives. God, we are not saved for our own good. We're saved for your glory and for the blessing of those around us. Help us and give us that mindset here today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Just as a very quick reminder, over the past four weeks, we have looked extensively at the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and really, I could go for 12 weeks. I could go for 16 weeks and, and, and very methodically teach and preach on the person of the Holy Spirit. But if you recall, on week one, we looked at how that we have fellowship We have fellowship, that is koinonia, the Greek word for fellowship, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I wanted to make sure we understood that we did not start on a series about the Holy Spirit and remove him from the context of the place that he has in the Godhead as the third person, the Godhead. That there is trinity in unity, that we serve a triune God. I can't understand it. I don't know how it's possible, but the scriptures declare to us clearly that it's one God but declared to us as three persons, one God in essence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And eternally, a fellowship has existed between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For, from all of eternity, there has been this perfect fellowship and communion between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you now, by the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus Christ, are presented to the Father, and you have communion, not just with the people of God, but you have communion, and you enter into this fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you recall, I, I quoted Dr. Stephen Land from his book called Pentecostal Spirituality, and he said, the Holy Spirit brings the Father and the Son, who together with the Spirit abide with and in the believer. That is the relationship of Father, Son, Holy Spirit together in relationship to us. And if you recall, I mentioned anytime we experience the presence of God, whether if it be in the time of worship that we just had or you come down the altar to pray 
or, or you're just worshiping in your car to worship music or you're praying at home. If ever you're experiencing the presence of God, always remember you are experiencing not just the Spirit, not just the Son, not just the Father. You are in the presence of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, of this triune God who you have entered into a fellowship with. And it's primarily through the agency of the Holy Spirit, which was the second week. We looked at the agency of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent or the executive of the Godhead. He's the one who comes to earth and, and does things and works in human history and works in human experience. And we looked at his nature, his names, and his operations on earth. And we looked at primarily how that he comes to convince the world, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. That was the second week. The third week, we looked at how that now, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have another helper, another comforter, the paracletos, one that is like Jesus, who is the same but is different, becomes, becomes in the same spirit as Jesus. And in the garden, Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship. They had the presence of God around them and I believe in them. But sin broke this fellowship. But I want you to remember what was the most crucial thing that was broken because of sin was the removal of God's presence from Adam and Eve's life. And it was from that very point that God had a plan, not just to redeem man from the consequences of sin, but also to re-infill man with his presence and dwell not just around you, but in you. And it's through the person of Jesus Christ who brought in the messianic age. And it was, it was prophesied by Ezekiel in chapter 36 and Jeremiah 31 that I'm going to exchange the heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And no longer will a brother or sister have to tell <coughs> the truth to somebody because it will already be written on your heart. And Ezekiel tells us it's going to be the spirit that comes and brings in this newness of life. And when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came down. And the same anointing that was upon Jesus' head, it trickled down all the way to his feet. And as he left earth, the Holy Spirit came down and alights upon every single blood-bought believer. The anointing of the Holy Spirit falls upon you. The same anointing that was upon Jesus as the Messiah, and he dwells with you. The renewed presence of God is within his people. It's no longer just in a tabernacle or a temple or in some sort of geographical place. It's in you. Another helper dwells and he's there to lead you into all truth, to teach you and to glorify Jesus Christ. And then last week we looked at this baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that you are not saved merely to be saved from hell and to be saved and on your way to heaven, merely just to sit in your room, study all day, pray all day, and stay unto yourself. And it's just like, if you recall in the Old Testament, the holy vessels in the tabernacle, they were to be used for ordinary purposes. But their separation from ordinary use is not what made them holy. But it was... They were holy when they were actually used in the service of God. So all these implements of the tabernacle, they were set apart not for ordinary use, but that's not only what made them holy. It was when they were put into proactive use for the service of God. 
And when you look throughout the Old Testament, it is the blood consecrates and the oil anoints for service. He initiates the the oil. The anointing of the oil is the initiation into that called ministry. And so you're consecrated. You're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. And he wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit to make you useful for the master's purpose, to call you into a place of service. And the power of the Holy Spirit, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, it allows us to walk in this calling to be witnesses for Christ. If you recall last week, I talked about how that we're called to be a vocal witness, to be a vital witness, and to be a valid witness. That what you say, what you proclaim should be the message of Jesus Christ. And not just what you say, but how you say it. There's a vitality to what you say. That what you say, you're convinced of it yourself. And then there's a valid witness that your life, the character of your life, represents the person of Jesus Christ. Not that you're perfect, but that you are representing the person of Jesus Christ. You're becoming more and more Christ-like. And your life, what you say and how you act, does not contradict the message that you proclaim. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to make you a vocal witness, a vital witness, and a valid witness. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And through this baptism of the Holy Spirit and through entry into the, the family of God, the Lord wants to use us in all kinds of ways. He wants to use us in many, many ways. And we're going to look at here today how that he longs to use you individually to bless the people of God and to bless a dark world around you by his spirit using you and influencing you and allowing to minister through you, through your personality. He longs to now use you in all that you are. I have, I have a slide up there. The next slide is when we look at gifts, the word gift. In the Greek, the word is charismata, and it just simply means grace. Uh, the, the, the Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And charismata is a gift of grace. And there's two definitions I have here that I think are very, very good. A gift, a gift of the Spirit, a gift from God given to you, it is the instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of any believer to exercise a grace of God for the edification of others. Another definition I found, extraordinary powers distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the church of Christ the reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating in their souls by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, God also testified to it, the message of the gospel, by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributing according to his will. Not only are we saved by his blood, not only does his presence dwell within us, not only are we filled and baptized with power and clothed with power, but God wants to use you. He wants to use you. doesn't matter who you are. He wants to use you, give you, and grant you gifts by his grace so that you can be used to edify others and to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this will only happen if we are spirit people. It will only happen if we are people of the Spirit who are open and receptive to His work in our life and what He longs to do. There are two other places, in, a, in, in, a, in addition to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are two other places that talks about gifts granted to people. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, we read about the fivefold ministry. And the Bible actually said 
that he has granted gifts to men and ascended on high. He has actually placed apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They are gifts to the church. Though that fivefold ministry or fourfold ministry, some say, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they are a gift to the church. And not just to one particular local church, but to the church as a whole, as a corporate body. Those are people who are placed into a ministry role, and they are a gift to you and I for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edification of the people of God. And then we look at Romans chapter 12. And if you recall, in January, we looked extensively about using our gifts and our callings for the kingdom of God. And I went over extensively in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. But he talks about in Romans chapter 12, some, some will say these are creation gifts or certain propensities or things God has already granted to you and it can be used for godly purposes and for spiritual purposes. But, but the fact of the matter is, whatever gift you have, it is of the Spirit of God. It's of the Spirit of God. It's by His Spirit. It's by His grace. And in Romans chapter 12, he talks about, he does talk about the gift of prophecy, which is also in 1 Corinthians 12, but he talks about the gift of ministry or serving. That's a gift to the body of Christ. He talks about having the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation or encouragement, the gift of giving. There are people who have a special gift and they're able to give and God enables them to give in a special way and edify people. The gift of leadership. People are called in a special way to lead the people of God. There's even a gift of showing mercy or kindness. And those are some of the gifts that he lays out in Romans chapter 12. But the gifts that we're going to look at here in 1 Corinthians 12, <clears throat> I believe these are more connected and closely related to the experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Okay, I believe, I don't care if you're a Pentecostal or non-Pentecostal, there are gifts of God exhibited in people's lives. Even the non-Pentecostal. God uses and he gets gifts to people who have not experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he uses those people, those people supernaturally, by the Spirit of God. He uses those people in multiple ways. But I believe because of the nature of these particular gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, it comes more so with the Pentecostal experience. It comes more so with spirit baptism. For example, and the reason I say this is because let's take a cessationist Christian. Anybody know what cessationist is? It's a person who believes that certain gifts have ceased after the end of the apostolic age. The apostolic age is when the last apostle, one of the last disciples, died, and they say, with the, apost the end of the apostolic age and the full canon of Scripture coming into place, we no longer need certain gifts. And those, those people are called cessationists. And not all cessationists agree on what gifts have ceased. But me and you, we would be called continuationists because we believe the gifts have, keep, have kept on going. If Paul and Peter and every other disciple in the first century church needed the Holy Spirit and all of his equipping power, they needed it then to propagate the gospel, we need it today. There's nothing in the Word of God that tells us these gifts have ceased. There's nothing. The Word of God does not tell us that. The Word of God does not tell us that. And so, so the reason I'm, 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 I'm saying that some of these gifts come more so with the Pentecostal experience because a cessationist is totally cut off to or not open to prophecy. They're not open to tongues or interpretation of tongues. They're not open to healing. 
But for those of us who believe this is real, this is for us today, and, through, and, and because we believe all the gifts have, have, have continued, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we believe these gifts can be manifest in our lives. And so there is a difference. But I do not, I do not want to take away from God using any non-Pentecostal person. God has used non-Pentecostal people in glorious, wonderful ways. My thing is, there's so much more of the Holy Spirit to be understood and to be experienced for those individuals. Does it make, does it make us uh, uh, upper class of Christians? Does it make us any better? It doesn't make us any more spiritual or spiritually mature. But it does mean we can experience all the dimensions of the Holy Spirit and be fully equipped and experience the fullness of what he wants us to experience and even more so be able to be a greater blessing to people because he can use us by his gifts. And so that is my position on that. So now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm fully aware this is more, this is more teaching. I really would like to just sit down at a table with all of you and just go extensively verse by verse on this. I would love to do that. And so I do know the nature of this message here today is a lot of teaching, a lot of in-depth uh, um, exposition on some of these things. And I'm going to try to go fast, but I, there's some important teaching I want you to gather here today. I'm really not going to go in great depth on each of the gifts. I'm really not. I'm, I'm going to, to uh, really lead up to it and, and some teaching that would help us to govern those gifts and to be used rightly in them. So go back to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 11. Once more, let's read it again. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the profit of all. Everybody say, profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Everybody say, same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. Everyone say, as he wills. You are doing so good. Just a few, a few things. There's, 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 it's up there on the screen, what I'm going to share here. But just, I want, I want to make a few comments, just provide to you a, a few general thoughts that we need to take note of when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. And really, you should read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 all together and in one sitting. And I would love to do that later in the coming months and go over this in greater depth in those portions of Scripture. But there's some things that we need to understand, things that we need to take special note of. It is the Holy Spirit which is the initiator at all times. This is not some natural intuition or insight that comes from your own human spirit. It is you yielding to the Holy Spirit and by faith, stepping out by faith and allowing the Holy Spirit to use you in whatever way he wants. But it is the Holy Spirit who is the initiator and not your human spirit. Take note from 1 Corinthians 12, 7, that the primary purpose for the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good or the profit of all of the congregation. The gifts are not for you. When God uses you in a gift, it's not for you. 
You're merely a vessel to be used to bless and edify or minister to somebody else in the church congregation or wherever you may find yourself. It is always for the common good. And this right here is the very reason we even have 1 Corinthians and why we even have chapter 12 and why we even have chapter 13. Because everything they were doing, they thought they were so spiritual. And and the only commendation that Paul gave them was, at the very beginning of chapter 1, you fall short in no good gift. I'm glad the gifts of the Spirit are flowing in this church, but hold on. we got a lot of correction to do in how you are administering them. You know why? It comes down to you are being selfish with these gifts and you are abusing them for your own glory. You are arrogant and full of pride, and you are not motivated by love. And so why do we have 1 Corinthians chapter 13 right between chapter 12 and chapter 14, which talk about the gifts? Because everything should be monitored, should be founded, should be governed, should be motivated by love. Knowledge will puff up. Love will always edify. The gifts are not for you. It's not for you. And since the common good of the congregation is the goal... It's the role of leadership that the congregation has to be allowed to monitor and correct and generally manage the order of the gathering because that is what God put them there for. And so apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they're there as a gift to, gift to the church. And you have pastors or leaders or deacons or, or bishops, I'm sorry, not deacons, but bishops and overseers or pastors, which are all one and the same, who are there to oversee the people of God. And because the goal of these gifts to be used is for the common good of all, leadership is there to guide and to cultivate and to correct, if necessary, the usage of these gifts. And if somehow the leadership, they miss the oversight or the misuse of a gift, then that's on their head and not the congregant's head. It's on the leadership's head to make sure that things are all done decently and in order. And not just decently in order, but also to cultivate the usage of the gifts, which is the very reason I'm speaking to you on this today. I want to see these things occur in your life, in my life, in this church, that we would edify one another by being used in these gifts. And so in light of these gifts and us being used by them, and because the goal is the common good of all, we should all approach this with a teachable, humble, moldable spirit, willing to learn, willing to be corrected, and willing to always look at ourselves and say, Lord, am I, do I really have pure motives and why I'm desiring this and why I want to be used in this way? And if you do use me, let it be pure, purely motivated because I want to see people edify. Uh, also note, I think that's up, this is up there. The Holy Spirit distributes the gifts to the believers in accordance with his will. The very nature of the word gift, charismata, grace, it's not merited. It's not merited. It's distributed Not based, listen, not based upon your spiritual maturity. It's based upon his sovereign will to distribute distribute individually as the spirit wills. It's very important because if you do not get this, there there will be a hierarchy that is created by people who may be using certain gifts and we will esteem these people as being super spiritual and we've forgotten that it's only by the grace of God that they can walk in these gifts. And it's not because they're anyone special. It's because God sovereignly has distributed to these people. 
We have to remember this. And this is why Paul is telling them this. Because they were acting such, in such a super uh, spiritual way. The Holy Spirit distributes the gifts to believers in accordance with his will. That is his desires, his motivations, or his purpose. So based upon the need at hand, he chooses the gift. He chooses the believer to distribute or manifest that gift through. He does that all of his own accord. Gifts of the Spirit are not the measure of spiritual maturity. I've already said that. Gifts of the Spirit are not the measure of spiritual maturity. They don't even mean that God fully approves of the person for whom he's using. Now, I'm not saying God is going to use a wretched, sinful individual to express the gifts. Okay? I do understand the nature of our character and, and where we should be with the Lord. But all of us are at different places and different maturity levels. And when any gift is expressed through a believer, it does not have direct correlation to your spiritual maturity. It just doesn't. You know what does have direct correlation to your spiritual maturity? Are the fruit of the Spirit being displayed in your life. Are you becoming more Christ-like? And so a, Christ, a Christian who's been a Christian for a week can be using any of these gifts. They may be immature. They may misuse them. They may not fully understand them. But God can sovereignly use that individual because that's the nature of the gift. It's not the measure of spirituality or even God's absolute approval of a person. It is the fruit of the Spirit which represents, or Christ-likeness which represents the influence of the Spirit upon the person's character and thus their Christ-likeness. The Bible never distinguishes between gifts that are more spiritual and less spiritual. This is very important. The Bible never distinguishes between gifts that are more spiritual or less spiritual. They are all part of the work of the same Spirit who works all and all. It's all by the same Spirit. Whether if it's a gift of giving or a gift of prophecy, a gift of encouragement, a gift of leadership, a gift of administration, it is all supernatural. It is all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every single bit of it. No one of those is more or less spiritual than the other. They're just different. The nature of those gifts are different. And what is, what is so wonderful about what Paul is teaching here, he's teaching about there is diversity in the gifts. They were tongue crazy in Corinth. It was all about speaking in tongues. And he said, hold on, there's a lot of other gifts that you're not displaying. And there's a diversity of gifts. In the same way that there's a diversity of the members of Christ. And some of us are a hand, and some of us are a foot, and some of us are a leg, some of us are an ear, an eye, or whatever. But there's diversity even in the gifts, and we should desire the full spectrum of those gifts and not concentrate on any one or the other that we think is more spiritual. But however God would distribute individually as he wills, then we should be open to it. And so, like, as I said earlier, the gifts described here in 1 Corinthians 12, they are differentiated from those gifts mentioned in Romans 12. And those in Romans 12 are more so commissioned and empowered for Christians to minister in a more permanent or full-time manner in the church. So if you look at Romans 12, something else that's different in 1 Corinthians 12, um, in Romans 12, it seems that these are more permanent, full-time ministry roles or gifts in a person's life. And the gifts of the Spirit seem to be 
more transitory or not as permanent or more spontaneous in its exhibition in a person's life. So, so it's not that one person owns a gift and they're always going to be using that gift. They may be more so using one gift, but it doesn't mean they can't be using another gift. It may, it may mean for a season of time somebody may be used with the gift of prophecy, and then God shuts, shuts that down and uses them in another gift, a gift of a, a interpretation or a gift of tongues or a gift of healing, whatever it may be. God can do whatever he wants, but it does seem that the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 do not seem to be so permanent or in a full-time manner as you would describe or um, differentiate with Romans chapter 12. If you look into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul, he very clearly, he teaches on how these gifts should be exercised in an orderly manner. I may get to that at the very end. It's very important to know that the Spirit's gift may be imitated by Satan or by people who disguise themselves as Christians. The devil goes about as an angel of light. He counterfeits everything. And in uh, the demonic world, even Satan can counterfeit the gifts of the Spirit. And it can be demonic presence that does supernatural things. And so it is of utmost importance, as we read in 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And you can test the spirits by the power of the Holy Spirit who gives you the ability to, to discern and to know what is at work in your midst. And just one more last general thought on this subject before I dive into these individually is that the gathering of the body of Christ is not the only place the Spirit tends to release these gifts. Though the context in which Paul is speaking is the corporate church gathering, the worship service, these gifts can be used outside these four walls. And not just here in a worship service. But, but it, is, it is important and it is necessary to understand that these gifts are more so used in the concept, context of a community of believers because there is safety there, there is accountability, there is correction, there is instruction. There's a cultivation of those gifts because the community of believers helps each other as we go forward in the person of Jesus Christ. In the next slide. I just, I just want to, I thought this was, this is pretty neat. Meyer Perlman, he, he kind of uh, broke it down in this way. If you look here, the way that Paul talks about it, there are diversities of gifts, that is charismata, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, diakonia, that's the same uh, word used for deacon, that is to serve or to administrate or to help, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, energamata, okay? That's a root word for the word energy, power, Okay? But it is the same God who works all in all. And so they are charismata, these gifts. A variety of gifts bestowed by the one spirit. They are diakonia, or varieties of service rendered in the cause of the one Lord. And they are energamata, or varieties of the power of the one God who works all in all. The diversity of these gifts is amazing, but it's all in the unity of the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God that we serve. If you looked at these nine gifts, though these nine gifts are not exhaustive, they're not exhaustive, Paul did not intend to give, you a, give us an exhaustive list, but they are rather representative. And, and if you look here, by the Spirit, power to know supernaturally. So you got a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, ability to distinguish spirits, discerning of spirits. This would be the super, supernatural ability to know by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit, power to act supernaturally. 
That would be gift of faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles. And the third triad, by the Spirit, power to speak supernaturally. That would be prophecy, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And so this is not fully exhaustive, but I think it is representative of the bigger picture. You have to remember, I've wondered this myself, why did Paul never actually give us a systematic theology on whatever subject? Why did Paul never submit a systematic theology on the Holy Spirit, on the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why is there no definitive teaching on any particular subject? You know why? Because Paul's, these letters, these epistles, they're written to real people in a historical time, in a particular culture, real people with real problems serving the Lord and representing the church of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, it's not Paul's attempt to give some sort of systematic theology on the Holy Spirit and how we should be using the gifts and how we should worship. He's merely responding to questions and problems that are in an existing church. And so that, that's one of the reasons why, really, for all of the New Testament, it's them responding to particular matters and issues in that specific people, in that specific time, in the context of that culture, that people, that language, and we see Paul's interaction with those people. So, looking here at the gifts, as I said, I'm going to go through this a little, a little fast. I mean, there's all kinds of examples I could try to think of and, and give real-life examples. I'm going to draw mainly from examples of the Word of God and how these gifts are used. But I'm going to go over these as quickly as I'm able without uh, cutting us short. So a word or message of wisdom. That's the first one. A word or message of wisdom. This is a proclamation or declaration of wisdom given to meet the need of some particular occasion or problem. And for most of these, I'm drawing from Dr. Stanley Horton, who wrote, I think, a marvelous book on the Holy Spirit, which is called What the Bible Says About the Holy Spirit. I'm drawing mainly from him. So this message of wisdom, it it is not dependent upon some sort of human ability or natural wisdom, but it is in a given problem or given instance or scenario, God supernaturally gives you wisdom and discernment on how to respond, how to speak, how to go forward in a given situation. It's supernatural that he provides this to you. And because it is a word or a message of wisdom, it is clear that only enough is given for the need. It's only enough that he gives you. It's only enough that he gives you for that very moment. It's not for every single moment in the future, but it's for that given moment. It comes upon spontaneously. The unction of the Holy Spirit comes and he gives you this word of wisdom, this message of wisdom. And if you were to look here in the, the Word of God, you would, you would see examples of this. How that in Acts chapter 6, when the, the Greek-speaking uh, Jews, the widows were being passed over, uh, the disciples got together, they, 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 uh, they talked with one another, they prayed with one another, and by the wisdom of God, they came up with a plan to establish deacons in the church to serve the people of God. People who were full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. When, when, you, um, when you look here at, at Acts chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas are ministering to the Gentiles, and they realize the Gentiles are now included in this promise with the Jews through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and, and Bar- Paul and Barnabas, they come to the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15, and James is leading that Jerusalem council. And at the end of it, they all come together, and by 
the supernatural wisdom of God, they come to an understanding. You know what? The Gentiles are included in this promise, just like us Jews. And they came up with a general uh, directive for uh, Gentiles. You know, don't sacrifice things to idols, abstain from sexual immorality, and a few other things. But the Gentiles are included. And this was wisdom from God given to them. To them, They didn't have a New Testament to consult like you and I did. It's by the Holy Spirit that they were given this wisdom in this given situation. That was a pivotal moment for you and I. Acts chapter 15 was a pivotal moment for you and I, where we, the wild olive branches, it was realized by the wisdom of God, we can be grafted in. We can be grafted in by faith and obedience. And if you recall, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, when, when you are persecuted and you're taken to, to before the authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say. But words and wisdom, I will, I'll give you a mouth, I'll give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Have you ever been in a situation ministering to somebody in a, in a predicament and, and you, you just know that was not me that made this decision? I, I am not that smart. I'm not that clever. I, I don't have the resources to draw from in my own self to have made the right decision here. But by the unction of the Holy Spirit, he helped me. He helped me. He helped me. He gave me the words to speak and the things to say. Does not negate preparation or rightly dividing the word of God, but he's able to give us in a moment a word of wisdom. It's much like the, the first martyr, which was Stephen. What is most notable about Stephen? We read in, in Acts chapter 6 that the people were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to resist those who were contradictory to the message of Jesus Christ. A word or message of knowledge. Number two, a word or message of knowledge. Wisdom seems to have, uh, wisdom seems to have to with the right application of knowledge. Thus the gift or of a word of knowledge is closely related to the gift of a word of wisdom. And we see throughout Scripture that knowledge has to do with the knowledge of God, of Christ, the gospel, and the applications of the gospel to Christian living. Throughout the epistles, Paul continuously says that you may grow in the knowledge of the gospel, that you may grow in the knowledge of Christ, that you may grow in knowledge of the faith. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, he says, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. the spirit that is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which men's wisdoms teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The gift of the word of knowledge, it is the gift bringing supernatural illumination of the gospel, especially in the ministry of teaching and preaching. It can apply to what's happening right now. God gives you the ability to grasp knowledge regarding himself. But we can also see it and how that God grants somebody special insight in a given moment. When Ananias and Sapphira, they presented what they had sold for their property at, to the feet of Peter, Peter had no idea that they were lying, that they were under false pretenses presenting their money. But what did uh, Peter say? It's not good that you lie to the Holy Spirit. That in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave Peter supernatural knowledge to know that what they are presenting is not real. And both of them fell dead because of, they lied to the Holy 
spirit. Of course, Jesus was fully man, fully God, but you could say in John chapter 4 where he's speaking to the woman at the well, he knows all things, but he's also fully man. He made himself subject and made himself dependent upon the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew everything about her. He had knowledge about everything of her life. Number three, a gift of faith. Now, this is not the kind of faith that involves us being saved or even the kind of faith that allows us to endure a faithfulness in our lives. This is a gift of faith. It is a special infusion of faith into a situation, a meeting, a family for the purpose of moving mountains. Has there ever been a time, a moment in time, you're listening to a song, you're listening to a message, you're praying, and God just imparts to you, infuses into you this immense amount of faith for the present situation that you find yourself in? That you just feel so beggarly and weak in your own reservoirs of faith, and God just gives to you, he grants to you this faith just to overcome this particular obstacle, or this faith so that you can carry on and keep going in your present circumstances. Just as a message of wisdom is given to the body to meet the need for a specific bit of wisdom, I like this what Horton says, So the gift of faith may be the impartation of faith to the body. The Holy Spirit may use a song, prayer, testimony, or preaching as a channel to communicate faith or raise the level of faith in the body. If you recall, after Peter and John, they healed the man at the temple in Acts chapter 3, and then in Acts chapter 4, they are berated and persecuted and interrogated by the high priest. And they stand before them, and they, th- they threaten them and tell them, never speak again in the name of Jesus. And what do they go do? They go back to the disciples and they pray one with another. And it's in this context, they pray one with another. They say, Lord, you hear their threats. Please give us boldness to proclaim the word. And it says that the place was shaken. And basically, they went forward in a renewed faith and boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in light of this persecutions and threats from the high priest. A gift of faith. Gift of healings. This, of course, is the gift given by the Spirit for the healing of the physical body. Troubled by sickness or disease. And it's just what we see with Peter and John when they healed the man at the gate. What I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up, be healed, and walk. Some would even say, this is interesting, I'm not really sure where I land on this, but notice that it says gifts of healing. Plural. Some even say, there's a particular um, thought, school of thought, that there are different gifts for different types of healings depending on the sickness. That's what, some, that's what some people teach. I don't know where I, I stand on that, but it says gifts of healing. The fact of the matter is the Lord gives someone the ability to trust, to proclaim God's uh, promises, to cling to him, and by faith in him, God gives them a gift of healing to meet the need at hand. And I will note that the book of Acts is written over a 40-year period, Okay? The book of Acts is written over a 40-year period. And even in Acts chapter 19, it says that many extraordinary miracles were wrought through the hands of Paul. A lot of what we read in Acts are the highlights of that 40-year period. I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but it's likely that these extraordinary miracles were not happening every single moment of every single day. Though they absolutely were rampant, 
But you got to think, the book of Acts is written over a 30 to 40 year period. It covers a broad swath of time. And, and so we're seeing the highlights of that. And so there is no evidence that the apostles were able to heal whenever they felt like it by some resident power of healing. Because if it's a gift of healing, it's not something that's resident in you as if you possess it. Does that make sense? And it's in that moment God gives you the ability to work through you and let there be healing in somebody's life. Nor did they consider healing their chief ministry. Throughout Acts, the means used were always varied and never allowed to become form or ceremony. Their faith was to be in the Lord, not in the means used to help them see people healed. And this gift of healing is not for some special evangelist who goes around with a tent. It's for God to use you in this, to pray for somebody, to have faith, to see somebody healed. And there are testimonies in this place right now, without going into them. There's testimonies in my life of God's healing power and a testimony that this is real and it's for us today. Number five, the working of miracles. This is just the the ability to do supernatural acts outside of your own natural capacity. This, uh, an example of this would be how that the spirit defied the laws of gravity and transported Philip from meeting the Ethiopian and he transported to him to the city of Azotus. It would be where Jesus turned the water into wine, where Peter raised Dorcas from the dead in Acts chapter 9. Just supernatural feats by the Holy Spirit, working of miracles. Number six, prophecy. Now with these last three, with these last three, I'm going I'm to slow down just a little bit before I'm, I'm almost done here. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 with me. Okay, we're going to reference a few things. So these, these last three... That supernatural power to speak for God by the gift of the Spirit, prophecy, the gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. And so when it comes to prophecy, the gift of prophecy, this is Spirit-anointed speech that can be used in a few ways. There is, on the one hand, the gift of prophecy, which is frequently associated with preaching. And how many of you... There are times where you can hear someone preaching and you understand that what they're preaching, at a, whether it be from the very beginning of the message or some point in the message, you understand that what they are speaking transcends a lot of things and they are speaking prophetically. They're speaking in a way where you, you, you understand that the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit has come and there's this special quality of thus saith the Lord when this person is speaking. And it may be for those specific people that are listening to that message. It may be for a, a church group. It may be for a generation where the Lord is prophesying through a preacher that special message from God to his people in a special gener- uh, moment in time for a special purpose. And it's at that point that the message becomes much more than just information and takes on the quality of transformation. That's in the instance of of gospel proclamation. But any one of us can be used in the gift of prophecy. The other way this gift is manifest is when a speaker or an individual, under the inspiration of the Spirit, they touch on sensitive subjects, reveal secrets unknown up until then, brings conviction, encourages, stimulates to action, or even speaks of things to come. 
You can speak prophetically, and you may not even necessarily know it. Okay? Now, when it comes to prophecy, there is foretelling, there is foretelling. Foretelling, what I, really, what a lot of preaching is, is prophecy. A lot of preaching is telling forth the message of God. But when we look at the gift of prophecy, that is, God gives a special uh, anointing to speak to a particular situation and to uncover and shed light and to illuminate for a given purpose, for a given people at a particular time. And so we see this continually throughout the New Testament in the book of Acts. It's not that you hold the office of prophet, but it's that you can be used to prophesy and speak to a particular situation for the edification of those who are around you. Now, the reason that this gift is elevated in 1 Corinthians by Paul is because he's primarily addressing the use of gifts in the corporate worship setting. They were mishandling tongues, and Paul says that the best gift is prophecy in the context of the corporate worship setting. Why? Because if I sit here and speak in tongues to you for an hour, how is that going to help you? But if I sit here and prophesy to you and speak what the Lord is speaking, that is edifying to you. But speaking in tongues in my own prayer closet, that's great. That's edifying to me. But in context of the corporate worship service, Paul elevates prophecy because in that moment, that is the best gift because it's for the profit of all. At the end of 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, pursue the best gifts. And Horton says a better translation might be, pursue the most helpful gifts. Those gift, the best gift is the gift that is needed in a particular point in time. What, what good is a gift of tongues if a person needs healing? What good is a word of prophecy if I need another gift? The best gift is that gift which is most helpful in that point in time. And so the reason prophecy is elevated in the context of the corporate worship service is because that is what is most edifying to me and to you, what we're doing right now, what we're doing right now. I, 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 I rushed over distinguishing between spirits and discerning of spirits. I'll come back to that. But look here, uh, various kinds of tongues, the gift of tongues. Okay, look at 1 Corinthians 14. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may touch, teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Look at verse 22. Or I'm sorry, 26. How is it then, brethren, when, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue? has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or, th let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge." Now there, let the others judge. Let me, let me backtrack a little bit because I skipped over discerning of spirits. It is absolutely necessary that we do grow in maturity and character and receptivity to the Holy Spirit because it is necessary for us to discern what spirit is at work in any given moment. And there is a special gift of discernment or distinguishing between spirits. The Bible teaches us there are three spirits. 
At any, any given time, you're exposed to three spirits. The spirit of God, your own spirit, or the spirit of the devil. And in a church service, it's more likely than not that the spirit of the flesh or the person can intermingle into the service as opposed to the devil. And that's what we see in 1 Corinthians. And it's of utmost importance that we have receptivity, that we have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and that when a prophecy comes forth, when a gift is exhibited, that two or three sit back and they judge to see if it be of God. Not with a suspicion, but with a a discernment from God and saying, is this of God? Is this of God? Because there's a bunch of crazy stuff happening today. There's particular movements where anything goes if you say, thus says the Lord. And there's no questioning. And what they're saying is crazy and off the wall. And by simply reading the word of God, you could easily refute this. It doesn't even take discernment. But there's so much out there that is off the wall. And it's, it's good that we test the spirits. And that's what he says there. Let two or three people, let them, let them judge. Verse 30. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The gift of tongues, though it comes through the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is separate and different from the Acts chapter 2 experience. If you are Pentecostal, that is, you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have, for lack of better terminology, you have a prayer language. When you go and you pray in your prayer closet, the Holy Spirit can pray through you and you pray in tongues. That's not the gift of tongues as represented in 1 Corinthians 12. That is God's way, a wonderful way for him to edify you in your spirit when you pray in tongues. It it, it bypasses your own understanding, your own words, your own intellect, your own um, understanding uh, of English words, and it bypasses that and allows you to speak spiritually. And it allows you to be edified in the spirit when you speak in tongues. This tongue may be an earthly language, it may be in the heavenly language, but you are being edified and you're being encouraged. And that's why Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues as often as you can. It's not empty gibberish that's doing nothing. It is encouraging you. It's edifying your spirit, man. And Paul says, I'm glad I do it more than all of you. It's a really good thing. It's absolutely necessary for your private life. But when I come into the corporate worship setting, I rather speak words that you can understand. Now, let me say this. I am absolutely not against anyone speaking in tongues in corporate worship. I think you should. I think we should intercede with our understanding, and we should intercede in the Spirit when we come together with the corporate body of Christ. You should should pray in the Spirit. You should sing in the Spirit when you come together. But here is where there needs to be decency and order in that how we can, we can uh, diminish confusion. The, 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 the rule here when it comes to speaking in tongues in a corporate setting is that we are all here as members of a choir. Every one of you are here as members of a choir, and no one of you are soloists. So pray in tongues as much as you want, but do not allow... I'm going to... Very practically speaking, do not allow the volume of when you are speaking to be so loud that you come across as a soloist to the point that people think, oh, they're giving a message in tongues. That will avoid confusion, you understand? 
Pray in tongues at church. Intercede. Pray for somebody when you're at the altar. My personal opinion, it does not help to, to scream in their ear praying in tongues. It does nothing for that person. You may be interceding for them, but that is not helping them in the immediate. Pray with the understanding. Pray in tongues over somebody. Lay hands on some of them, but you don't have to scream. Because there is a gift of tongues where God comes upon somebody and allows them to give, let's say, a solo, allows them to give a special message in tongues that is intended to be heard by everyone. Everything stops. You listen to this one message in tongues, and it's intended to be interpreted. Why? For the edification of everyone. So that everyone can, be, can understand and everyone can be edified. Now, all of us individually are being edified as we pray here at church and pray in tongues. But what is the first priority when we come together in the corporate setting? For the profit of all. Everything you do, when you come together at 2 o'clock every Sunday, your first priority is glorifying God and edifying your brother and sister in Christ. The gifts are not for you. So when you come, it's to glorify the person of Jesus Christ And how can I build up the body of Christ? How can I do that? And so these these are some some prevailing uh, uh, things that should govern the way that we behave in church. I I don't want you to sit there stoic and not pray. I don't want you to sit there and and not pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. Pray. Just be natural with it. I mean, if, if if we're all praying right now, when we prayed over prayer request earlier, I didn't hear any one of you louder than the other when you're praying with your understanding, correct? Do the same with tongues, pray. But if you feel like I have a special, best special unction, the Lord is gonna speak through me, I have this, this, this desire to, to speak up and to speak aloud, and the Lord's gonna give a message in tongues, stand up and proclaim that message in tongues by faith, and either the Lord will allow you or somebody else to interpret that for the edification of the entire body. And if we do that, we avoid confusion, don't we? Because everything should be done decently and in order. Decently and in order is not anti-spiritual. You understand? To do things decently in order is not anti-spiritual. God is a God of decency and order. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You are not possessed by the Holy Spirit, where you become a robot and you cannot control yourself. I understand the power of the Holy Spirit is great. A person who is demonically oppressed, they've lost all power over their own faculties and their own self. The Holy Spirit wants you to work in cooperation with him, your spirit in cooperation and submission to him. He's a gentleman. And you can. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. And so there's the interpretation of tongues where God gives somebody the supernatural ability to interpret a message given in tongues, a gift of tongues, and then when they give that message in English or whatever the common language is, that then becomes prophecy because it's edifying the people of God and it's in the common tongue that everybody can receive and be edified by. I'd rather speak five words in English than 10,000 in tongues in church, Paul said. That is the guiding principle because in the context of the worship service, it's all about glorifying Jesus and helping one another. Let me end right here. Let me end right here. Come come help me. 
As I mentioned earlier in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, where he says we should seek the best gifts, desire the best gifts. And then he says, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. It is good that you earnestly, zealously desire to be used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You should say, God, use me. Not because I want to be seen as more spiritual as somebody else, because I want to edify the people of God. And he says, and I will yet show you a more excellent way. What is the way to do it? 1 Corinthians 13, love. If you're motivated by love, love for God, love for people, and you earnestly desire spiritual gifts, you will be edifying to the people of God. God can use you. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 12, even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. We should pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and we do whatever is necessary for the edification of the people of God. Let me, let me end right here. Stand with me. That, that last slide, just, just to conclude this, this whole series, I just want us to worship here, here in a little bit and I'm going to let us go. But just to kind of sum up this whole series and what we've looked at and what I would desire for all of our lives, my life included, that the Holy Spirit is the person in the Godhead who indwells and is poured out on believers so that they can do the work of the kingdom of God on earth against all the forces of darkness arrayed against God and his people. When you watch the news today, it's bleak. It's confusing, and it makes you angry, doesn't it? When you see the world and what's happening in the world, and then you just, you just reflect upon the, the, the issues and the problems in your own life and in your own family, you realize, I cannot do this in my own strength and my own power. I cannot do this in my own ability. I do not have any amount of natural resources to meet the need at hand. But God does. God does. And to be people of the Spirit is to be people who are open and receptive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit that he can use us in every way possible. In every way possible. As he writes in Ephesians chapter 3.20, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more that, than we might ask or think. You're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, but God is able. Humble yourself, become nothing, be bankrupt in your own ability, your own strength, your own smarts, and God can work with that. God can use that. And he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever imagine or think by his power, by his grace. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for your people that are here gathered today, Lord. I thank you that you have given us everything we need, that you've equipped us, by the consecrating power of your blood, you have washed us clean, white as snow. By your Holy Spirit, you live within us and you lead us and you direct us and guide us into all truth. And Holy Spirit, you glorify Jesus. Give us a greater desire that you, Jesus, would be glorified in our lives. Lord, help us to have a greater desire to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's work in our life and his desire to speak to us, speak through us. Help us, Lord, to be people who are fully dependent upon your Holy Spirit.
Remove from us any self-assurance, God. Remove from us any self-dependence, Lord. Help us to be fully dependent upon your spirit. It's not by power nor by might, but by your spirit. Make us completely submissive, completely surrendered to your work in our lives in this day and age. Oh, how the world needs to see light. We are called to be salt and light. Oh God, help us by your spirit to do that, to walk in that, to represent who you are, to be a witness to a world who's dying, who lives in darkness and needs to see our King, which is you, Jesus. Help us to be people of the spirit. Help us, Jesus. Come sing something. Let's worship here for a moment.